Good evening, UCC. Good evening, Cork. It's four, It's exactly four o'clock in the studio and you are listening to My Life in a Suitcase with Manisha. This is Radio UCC 98.3 FM. And today with us on the show, we have an yet amazing, amazing, amazing guest. And today we have with us astonishing, powerful, bold and brave Maho. Maho, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> oh, this is it. This pl- is my debut on... Um, on UCC Radio. I've never been here, so thank you very much. <laughs> well, it's it's a pleasure for us that you are today here with us because Maho holds a degree in law from, from Universidad Nacional de Asuncion. Asuncion, yeah. In Paraguay, in a Master of Laws from University of Toronto, where she was a Health Law Ethics and Policy Fellow for the Canadian Institute of Health Research and International Reproductive Health Law Fellow for the International Reproductive and Sexual Health Law Program. Maho also holds a certificate in management practice from UCC. Maho has worked and volunteered in the areas of women's rights, sexual and reproductive rights, migrant rights, disability rights, and sustainable sustainable mobilities. She's a particular she's particularly interested in intersectional discrimination and implementation of human rights standards in public policy and practice. And right now Maho is working as community sponsorship manager uh, in NASC, which is Migrant and Refugee Right um, Organization. So Maho, why don't you introduce yourself in your own words? So many degrees and many, many amazing <laughs> achievements. Thank you so much. Um, look, I guess um, I like like we were talking off the air. I, I have carried, a, 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 you know, my life in a suitcase as Definitely. well. Definitely. <laughs> um, so I am an immigrant myself. I was born in South America, um, but I've been... Um, I've traveled quite a bit and then I ended up in Ireland. I ended up in Cork Um, and my usual joke, uh, half serious is, you know, like I I am from Cork. So if anyone asks me, I'm from Cork and uh, Cork people, we are born wherever we want. You know, it was an accidental birth. So I do consider myself a a daughter of the city um, and I extend I try to do my best to extend that welcome to everyone else who who gets here and you know you and me and many other people who weren't born here um whether they were born in other parts of Ireland or in other parts of Europe or the world we are as part of the fabric of society as anyone else and um yeah so I am incredibly privileged to be working at NASC um where I am the the community sponsorship manager and before that I would have worked with the advocacy service so again working with migrants and, and refugees and or people who work or live or love them you know so yeah. um yeah that that's that's a bit of me but look I'll let you ask all the questions <laughs> <laughs> you know to to all those out there who don't know much about NASC if you go back if if you go on Spotify and search um search uh, really UCC my life in a suitcase uh, podcast you will find two amazing episodes uh, with Fiona Finn and with Fiona Hurley and we talked a lot about NASC and how NASC works and the organization of NASC and how NASC is helping lo- like thousands of women all around the world especially in war-stricken countries and the women that need help and that will be really amazing and you will also get to listen to their stories so um, I myself personally am always very very thankful to NASC because I have regained my life because of NASC and NASC has played a very important role in my life and I will never never forget that and so uh, Maho 
and many other people like Maho who work in organizations in NASC, they're saving hundreds of lives every day and they're impacting thousands of family in a very positive way, which is easy to say, but not easy to do. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. Also, uh, we have a small uh, WhatsApp group for Afghan women in Cork and when I said, when I put up, you know, the advertisement that you're yeah. coming here today, um, they, they specially sent you a message of thank you and said, oh, we know Maho, please say thank you <laughs> and say that we miss you and we are very happy. She has done a lot for us. So um, you yeah. have received that message on radio Brilliant. now. <laughs> uh, I, I love having that, that, you know, like it's a, like a fan group. Um, and look, and I guess um, what you were saying there about my intro, um, I did, I did do law. So I have a legal background uh, and I did, uh, I was always particularly interested in human rights. Uh, but I guess a lot of my life I've been, again, it's been a privilege for me to be able to do what I do. I always think that sometimes rights or human rights, they are always written in lovely paper. Mm -hmm. um, but for people, like for it to make a difference, you have to live them every day. So that is one thing that I really love about the organization that I work in. We, we do try to live our values, um, but we pay particular attention to how the people that we work with and the people that we serve, how they get to experience the world and those rights or those entitlements that are written down in paper and how do we make those happen in the reality of their lives. So I think, you know, for example, it's very easy to say, like, you have a right to health. Um, but I always look at, okay, what are the steps? What are the practical barriers that a person can experience when accessing health? Like, is it language or is it, you know, even for you to apply for a medical card or for accessing a maternal health care, something, as you were mentioning, very close to, to my heart and my, my professional experience, like you need a PPS number. And yeah. how do you get a PPS number? And I guess, um, you know, I arrived to Ireland with a couple of law degrees and I had really good English and all of that but I had to navigate those systems myself from you know like what is a PPS number and what do you eat it with you know it's, it's so, uh, or what are all of these acronyms that people just assume that you know yeah um, but if you've never been here you know it's it's it is really nice and really important to be able to to have someone to help you navigate the systems and you know just to ease ease things yeah. in terms of ac accessing those and and look as part of I guess my professional life um you know you might sometimes hear a few haters being like why don't you help the irish you know as part of my professional life i've also helped irish people and i think sometimes we take for granted that you know those systems are equally complex and complicated for people who were born here and who are fluent in english so if we reduce the barriers that are there for people who are migrants for people who are refugees for people who don't speak english as their first language will actually make things easier for everyone including people who speak english but maybe have an intellectual disability or people who maybe have unmet literacy needs so actually doing what is accessible to everyone will be better you know like for you know if we make things easier for immigrants and and, and things more accessible it will actually benefit everyone so um, that's just something that I that I always keep in mind as well well that is a very very difficult job that you do to be honest so I we I, I think uh, me also our listener would like to love love to hear this how did you end up in NASC how did you end up in such a difficult business um I I joke that I love misery but it's not misery like I think I love um I love that it's practical. Mm -hmm. I love that, you know, look, I do, uh, as part of my job, I, I, I read legislation, I go through statutory instruments, I read policies and I deal with very complex things. But in the end, 
at the end of the day, it is about people. Mm-hmm. And it is about uh, people who have real lives and who have dreams and hopes and problems and migraines and are hungry or whatever it is, just like you and me. Um, so that is something that I really, really like about what I do. Um, I guess I, I ended up at NASC because I was in Cork and I, I, I arrived here and... I was looking for something to do. I was unemployed and then I did an internship and then I started working there and things just took off. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I, again, it's not something that every immigrant can say I'm able to work in my own field and, and to, to do what I wanted to, um, and what I was trained to do. And it's something that some people from my own country, when they come and visit, they're like, Oh my God, you're the first person that I know from. Paraguay where I am uh, and they'd be saying oh you know I know other people who are maybe in Spain or in other countries but they're cleaning even though they have a you know another degree you know they're cleaning or they're working construction so I, I was incredibly privileged to be able to to have an organization who took me on and I guess who took my degree and my education and my experience in other countries just as relevant as if I was you know as if I had that experience here so that was you know um, a big thanks to to the organization and then um, clearly I'm passionate about the work and I've kept going and um, and I was working there for a few years then I left I worked for other organizations as well and then I returned so it's it's uh, you know I came back I clearly like it (laughs) (laughs) well so so definitely that is your life in a suitcase and you have carried it very long way in in and and now I, I can actually see that that must have been a really really difficult job you know very hard work maybe this is one of the aspects that you can like you know that you can actually understand the the pain and the struggles that migrant people yeah. refugees immigrants they're going through and look i guess i will caveat that and i will say um i i actually i moved to ireland because of love so mm-hmm. i i i i chose to to come here I chose to to be with who is the love of my life. If you're listening, um, so a, an Irish man, a Cork. He man. better be. He better be. <laughs> so a, a Cork man got me to these shores. Um, so to me, I guess my transition it was a choice. I I wasn't fleeing violence. I wasn't fleeing poverty. Um, I, I I'm not an economic migrant. I'm a migrant of love. I don't know. Do those exist? Um, <laughs> But um, it was a decision that that we made and what what was best for for us. But even then, even when it wasn't traumatic in and of itself, and it wasn't for traumatic reasons, it's still not easy. It's you know? not, yeah. And I guess not. that's something that I'm always very mindful. Like when I'm working with families and people who came here, I'm very conscious of, um, you know during the pandemic and you know people might relate to this during the pandemic I wasn't able to see my family for almost two years and that was really tough and my dad passed away in that time and I couldn't even go to to the funeral and that is just a sliver of a sliver of what a refugee might have to go through um if someone is here and applying for asylum they might be in the system they can't go back to their countries for years they can't see their families for years they don't know where they are how they are you know, I was worried about my family accessing vaccines, you know, and people who are refugees and who are coming from persecution. Maybe they're worried about their family members being in danger or starving or all going through all of those things. So I guess, you know, I, you know, 
I, I'm willing to say it wasn't easy. It, you know, I, I miss my mom's cooking. <laughs> I miss being able to find the things that I just, you know, I just want to eat something in particular. I just love my music or people have no idea how funny I am in Spanish, you know. <laughs> um, but um, I do, I do know that that is not even a fraction of what other people have had to go through. So I just always keep that in mind and I keep that respect for, for people and their experience. I cannot in any way compare what I've gone through. Um, but I do know a couple of things. I know how difficult it can be when the sun doesn't come out and it's just wet and depressing. And when the <laughs> days are very long and winter and, and, you know, I had a tough time as well. But I can always say to people, look, I promise the summer is going to be better. We, we, we can find a way to make things a bit better. Um, but um, yeah, look, again, I always come back to I, I have had a very privileged position and thanks to my work. And I think it, it, the way I describe immigration is that um, unless you're a practitioner, which I was, you know, immigration as only what it was to you as only the pathway that you had to navigate. And even for people who have the inverted commas, best immigration status, the, the conditions are usually less than ideal. Like you have to queue back back in the day, I'm the old school, you had to queue for hours from 6am to get your immigration card. And and that's undignified, you know, just like I remember being sitting on the floor with my period or, you know, like having a flu, but you have to be there because you have to get your card. Now you do that via email and you wait 104 days to get the card. Um, but you only know what you've been through. And because I have a professional experience, I've been able to to have a bit of a glimpse in terms of what different people have to go through um, and just how diverse even the experience of migration can be from refugees who come here seeking asylum, who arrive through really unsafe ways, you know, putting their lives at risk, to people who came as economic migrants and have an employment permit or are a doctor or a nurse or a neurosurgeon, you know, so the experiences of the different systems and society and community can be incredibly different. Um, so I, I kind of I, I do like that I have a bit of that bird's eye view in terms of what are, but again, it's I, I know what rights and entitlements and social welfare and housing law, but you know each each person has their own life, I guess. Definitely, definitely. Well, you are you are doing um, a lot of good work in 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 the sense of helping those who really need that help, and among that are people who are coming to Ireland through. Um, community sponsorship program that you're mm -hmm. manager of so um, what is that like what is a community sponsorship program and how it is different than other immigrations or refugee status and all okay so I'll start from the beginning so I guess people are usually used to refugee as someone who arrives maybe in a dinghy in a train at the back of the train or the back of a truck and those are people who are seeking protection um, community sponsorship is an a safe, we, we call it a safe and legal pathway for refugees to reach another country where they will be able to continue with their lives, fulfill their potential and have, you know, enjoy what all of us take for granted. So community sponsorship actually started in Canada a few decades ago where Canadians got together and they said, look, we want to have more refugees. We will support them and literally sponsor them to come in into safety into Canada and this model has been replicated in many other countries um, well, in a few countries and back um, you know a few years ago in Ireland here NASC we said look we need safe passage we need you know 
people are going to continue to seek protection, but we need alternative ways and additional ways for refugees to reach Ireland safely. And we know that communities, like there is so much generosity and solidarity within communities. And I think that sometimes um, people feel that they want to do more, but they feel like helpless. What can I do? It's not in my hands. So community sponsorship came as um, a tool that people can take and you can you can start a community sponsorship group and sponsor a refugee, an individual or a family. Um, it started unofficially, I guess, with NASC. We had um, a group of people who were interested in sponsoring a family and we, we you know, linked them in with a, a family that was coming through family reunification. And with that, we showed the government, look, it can be done, you know. Um, so they came through. It was That was a different immigration permission. But after that, in 2018, the Irish government said, we'll give it a try. Huh. In 2018, they, they launched a pilot and said, look, a pilot, we'll see if it works. Um, and communities were interested and communities took it on. And we had a few families that arrived soon after. And since 2019, community sponsorship is official is an official part of the government um, of the government protection program. So it is a pathway for people to reach to Ireland safely and communities can support them. Um, so what um, I guess the Irish program is relatively small, I guess, like we don't have loads of families coming in, but um, it is in its infancy, I guess. So it started in 2019 and then we had the pandemic and Ukraine and, and, and what happened in Afghanistan, as you well know. Um, but it's really showed us that communities do want to get involved. Um, so the main uh, groups of people that are benefited, uh, that benefit from community sponsorship have been Syrian families. So these are Syrian families and individuals who are currently in a, either Lebanon or Jordan. So they are refugees there, but they have additional needs that cannot be satisfied there or their lives are still at risk or they might be at risk of, of being returned to Syria. Um, and I think it's, it's really, it's actually a bit sad that a lot of people think that the Syrian conflict is done and it's over where, where there's thousands of Syrian people who are displaced. Um, so we do have 17 families, 17 Syrian families who are waiting to come to Ireland and they are just waiting for a group in our communities to sponsor them and for, for so that they can come here to Ireland. Um, so that was kind of the initial purview of the programme. And then since last year, 2023, it's expanded as well to some Afghan families, as yeah. you know, and, and I think you've, you've been more involved with that. I say, I think, as if I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, because the, um, I guess the Irish government after the fall of Kabul in 2021 saw that there was a need for humanitarian admissions. So there there have been humanitarian admissions into Ireland uh, before 2023, as you well know. Yeah. Um, but since 2023, there is a bit of a structure uh, to it, and that is community sponsorship. And in short, what is community sponsorship is at least five people in a community get together and they say we want to sponsor an individual or a family and they prepare for that individual or family so there's a bit of fundraising involved finding accommodation 
but a lot of it will be the supporting of the person once they arrive here. And it yeah. is that soft landing that we were talking about earlier. How do you get a PPS number? How do you take the bus? You know, I remember getting lost on the bus here a few times. You know, how do you navigate the education system, practicing your English and having a friendly face that you can ask all those philosophical questions of like, what is the immersion? You know, yeah. <laughs> things that if you lived in Ireland all your life, you, you kind of take for granted. Um but yeah, it, it, it is that and it is an additional pathway. It's a way for communities and groups um, to get together and say, look, I may not be able to save every family or every individual, but I know I can make a difference to maybe an individual or a group of five, you know, and that is what is in my hands. And I think that is the, the beauty of it. Um, some people might say, oh, but that's a small number, but like each life Matters. Matters. Each life matters. Yeah. Definitely. You know, uh, um, before we go for a short break and listen to a lovely song, if anyone out there is thinking to be part of sponsorship group, you know, community sponsorship group, you can always contact NASC and you can always um, give them a ring and say, I'm, I I want to be part of that. Or, or you can always um, send an email to NASC or contact Maho and say, well, we want to be part of this program. Um, and slowly, slowly, they will organize that group and it will be, you know, you'll be able to help that. Um, it is, um, sometimes you might think that, oh, loads of people are coming to Ireland. It's, it's you know, like, when will it stop or things like that. Um Speaking from someone who just came in Ireland in 2021, I have been on both sides of the door. I know how it was for me waiting in Kabul, thinking that I might be dead in the morning or I, I might be dead in the afternoon. Any, any knock, any small sound, I would think they have come for me. But there were a group of people, though it was not very organized like how now it is, but there were a group of people at that time in Ireland who were who though all of them had professional lives, very, very busy, but they were all trying really, really hard to bring me and my family safely mm -hmm. here. And today, we are all alive. We are all happy. We are, we are working. We are paying taxes. My daughter is studying in, in school. Um, she's, she's, she has a bright future and that matters a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, and we will always, always, always be thankful to those who spend their time, their money, their yeah. effort to bring us here and to the organization who helped make it all possible and to the Irish government, of course, mm -hmm. who opened their doors. So, you know, as a refugee perspective, when you it's it's like you don't have a place of your own, your house is all burned down and now you're knocking on another house. Mm -hmm. And either you are welcome in or you force yourself in and you just keep looking for just one that that one friendly face will tell you it's OK. You can sit in that corner and eat from the scrapes that we have. And, you know, and, and you know that it will take a very, very long time that, that you can be the member of that family or that house. But still, you have a roof over your head and it's not very easy. Yeah, yeah. it's but not very easy. Look, bef before we go on to the pause, I will always just say um I always remind people that um, if someone is not a refugee, it's just because of an accident of either geography or time. Definitely. You know, um, and we can, you know, there were people in this country who were persecuted. There were people in the place where I was born that yeah. were persecuted. Um, do you know, so it is, it is a lottery. And I guess I would hope that if I'm ever on that side of the door, that someone will open it for me as well and will 
you know, give me a, yeah. a helping hand Definitely. if I need help. Yeah, definitely. So, well, I'm going to play this this song. That's it. It's, this is an English translation of a Persian song. This never goes old for me because we keep playing it. And I'm going to play it again, again for all the women in Afghanistan who still cannot cannot study, who are not allowed to do anything for all the women in Gaza and Palestine and Syria and all around the world, anywhere where anywhere where women and children or anybody is in pain or in, in trying to just live in a very, very difficult, hard time. They're just trying to survive. We'll, I will always play this song every day on this show. I really love it. So let's listen, it to, listen to it again for Women, Life and Liberty. And those streets For the thrill and the fear of getting caught kissing For my sister, my brother and unity For all the times we tried to change their minds and stale beliefs For the loss of pride, for poverty For the dream of just a normal life for you and me For all the children who were starving for a loaf of bread For the greed of politics and all the lies they spread For all the mass polluted air we breathe For all the litter in the streets and all the dying trees For all the animals who suffer from elimination For all the cats and dogs who love us without no conditions For all the tears that seem to never end For all the images that keep on turning in our heads For a simple smile to last a little while For the future generations fighting for their time For empty promises of heaven in the afterlife For all the imprisonment to beautiful minds For all the babies who were born and for the ones who died For all the times you told the truth and all the times you lied For all the speeches that we heard about a million times For all the shacks and shelters that were sold to make it done For just a of a peaceful life For the rising of the sun After an endless night For all the pills we pop Just to get some sleep For all mankind And our country For all the boys and girls Who never knew equality For woman For life Liberty Welcome back. You're listening to Radio UCC 98.3 FM and I'm your host Manija and my life in a suitcase. With And with me today we have amazing, amazing Maho here. So Maho continuing the discussion about um, community sponsorship program. So um, what happens to these families once they arrive in Ireland? And uh, uh, you know, like, you know, like nowadays it's become kind of a rate 
it's become kind of a fashion kind of a rage. There are some people who actually think that people who are coming in Ireland, they're just being a burden on the government and the society everywhere. You know, I, I do understand that I'm a bit of overweight, but I don't think I can be a burden, you know. <laughs> but you know, that is like, the, that, that is kind of, you know, like like the, the new COVID that is spreading and we really don't want that. Uh-huh. And because kindness is, you know, is something that we should always offer to everyone around us. So, um, yeah. So, look, I guess I will start with, um, I think it's really important for everyone to be informed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I think there can be a... Um, there can be a bit of misinformation and actually because I have worked uh, you know I have a lot of experience in social welfare and in mm-hmm. housing so sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm always happy to give a lecture if someone is like unaware <laughs> of how things actually happen on the ground yeah um look I guess I will start with saying I you know I think you will have fi- you will find people who um won't like anything you say so you know like I guess there are people who almost say like we are Schrodinger Schrodinger's immigrants you know like we we are either we're both a burden on the state and taking all the jobs so I'm like which one is it you know choose <laughs> so, pick one so it's like you know I can't be taking all the jobs while also being on job seekers that's just not you know that's just not possible um but I guess I would even like to challenge the idea of being a burden mm-hmm. um I come from a place where we don't have a social welfare state um, and I think we need to understand why we have the systems that we have and as someone who wasn't born in this country I'm, I'm a huge admirer of the history and I think we need to study it. We have a social welfare system in this country and we have a housing system because every person at some point in their lives will need help. Definitely. You know yeah. and sometimes it's just help because you lost your job help because you maybe have a disability because you need to care for someone so I I actually don't even like to talk about being a burden because I guess if you look at how much a social welfare rate is right now a job seeker will get 232 euro per week that's not enough to live you know and I think we need we really need to have a discussion around like the supports actually need to be sufficient to to have a dignified life and that's the same rate that someone with a disability will get is 232 enough to live on a week so I think I would I would actually start with that so we have a social welfare system that is there to assist people who need a bit of a hand Um, that could be long term like if you have a disability or if you're a carer but it could also be for a short term so each person will be different Um, so when people arrive here through community sponsorship they arrive here as what we call program refugees so they are refugees they come as declared refugees and they have the same rights and entitlements as an Irish citizen no more no less you know Mm -hmm. um well in some cases less because sometimes you have to be for example if you're a refugee and you arrive here today for you to qualify for eu fees in a university you need to have three years of residence in the eu so you'll have to wait three more years so you know but that would be the exact same condition that you would put on eu national as well so i guess it's really important that we understand how systems work um so if a person arrives here refugee arrives here the first thing that they would be getting is they get their declaration, we get their immigration card um, and they have to apply for a PPS number and then they have to apply for whatever is the relevant social welfare mm-hmm. 
payment. You know, if you told me it's a mom with kids and there's, you know, there's no doubt because he's either not here or he passed away or whatever happened, it will be a one parent family payment. If she is caring for her elderly mother, she's going to be on carer's allowance, you know, so it will depend on what it is more appropriate. Um, but we do find that sometimes people for the very start, we want to set them up so that they can access their entitlements. Um, and with time, like you said, you know, some people will find it really easy to, um, you know, hit the ground running if they have enough English and, you know, all the tools. And if they're OK enough, you know, like mm. if you have gone through a lot, if you have gone through trauma, you might just need a bit of time <laughs> to get back on, on your two feet. So after a while, you might be, you know, taking up a job, taking up employment or taking up training, Um so what we do is we help the families or individuals identify what is the most suitable payment, the most suitable support, um, and also guide them through. So like I guess what we were saying earlier, just in terms of how to navigate the Irish education system, like if you want to go to college, and this is a conversation I had today with someone, um, I would say kind of like, okay, look, you won't be able to access EU fees for until you have three years of residence. So maybe we'll have to look at PLC courses in um in a college of further education to prepare you to have an, a, you know, an university entry a, as a mature student and things like that. So it's about how to navigate the systems as well, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we want people to fulfill their dreams and their goals and each person will have a different, a different goal. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the social welfare part of it. I don't know, did I answer question yes yeah yes definitely definitely so um and also so so that's the social welfare part then mm -hmm. we come to the part of housing and all mm -hmm. there is myths going on people think the moment a refugee sets foot in ireland they get the houses mm -hmm. they get the house they get the money they get the council houses are all going to the refugees the money is all going to the refugees then the jobs are all going to them um and i liked what um what what leo Rutger said he said the reason of all this negativity is less lack of information because people don't have enough information around these systems mm -hmm. so it's easy to say oh if i didn't get that that person got it mm -hmm. you know and so because you are someone who's very very familiar with these systems mm -hmm. i think you'll be able to bust these myths you know exactly and we will bring some bulbs you know turn on some bulbs in our heads <laughs> yeah yeah and, look, and i always say you know kind of like uh, you know it's not immigrants fault if there isn't enough houses i think we need to like but I, I do think you know there are plenty of houses out there that i see empty but anyway that's a that's a question maybe for the housing minister but the way it works with community sponsorship is one yeah. that i can definitely clarify so um a family or an individual that comes through community sponsorship cannot come to Ireland until there is accommodation in the private mm -hmm. rented sector, yeah. in the private rental sector for, for them. So that is one of the tasks that the group, the community sponsorship group has. It's not an easy one, mm -hmm. um, but it's because we do not want a person to come into Ireland and then end up in homelessness. So that is one of the tasks. So until there is accommodation secured, that family or that individual will not be coming to Ireland. After they come here, they do what everyone needs to do. So they have to get first their PPS number. They have to get their social welfare payment. And then we apply for, and it's called applying for housing supports. It used to be called, people know it as being on the housing list. Mm -hmm. So for that, your income has to be under a specific threshold. So your income has to be under 30 or 35,000 per year for your whole family. So we 
fill up a very long form. We help the family. So that's one of the things that we do yeah. at NASC. Um, so we support the families in navigating those those systems. Um, so we complete those forms. They go through the local authority. They check that the income is fine. Everything's okay. You know, are you renting a copy of your, of your tenancy agreement? All of those things. And then you are, what we say, approved for housing support. And after, just like another Irish person, um, there is even a circular by the Department of Housing from a few years back. I think it's circular 41, 2012. So if you're ever curious about what is the entitlement of an immigrant in general to access housing supports, that's the circular for people to read. Um, And then once the person is approved for housing supports, then there is a range of social supports, of housing supports. And we all know that social housing is not a realistic option for many years especially here in Cork City um, so you might be waiting seven eight ten years again I have I have worked with Irish families who were in in those waiting lists so um, we very much help the family understand social housing while it would be ideal that you have an affordable house that may not be a reality for a few years mm-hmm. you know so what we do is we assist the family in applying for HAP. That's the housing assistance payment, which is basically a subsidy of their rent. Yeah. Um, and it's not that they get free housing or whatever people say. So if, and just to give you an idea, the HAP rate for a family of mom, dad and three kids a month uh, here in Cork City is of 950 euro. There is no house for rent for 950 no, euro. Barely a room <laughs> uh, if you can get Yeah, the yeah. So um, the, the government does allow local authorities to uh, increase it by 35%. So that comes at around uh, 1,282. I know my life is so, you know, sad that I know these numbers by heart. Um, so if a family can find an accommodation for, let's say, 1,400, um, they will have to pay that difference to the landlord. But for the HAP part, they will be paying a contribution. Mm-hmm. So there is no such thing as free housing for anyone here. Every family, every family, migrant, Irish, traveller, settled, they pay a contribution to their housing. Yeah. Um, and that is a formula and it is um, it is a formula that is set out by each local authority and is proportionate to your income. So when I work with families, I explain it in, in very plain English and I say, if your income goes up, your rent goes up. Mm-hmm. And if your income goes down, your rent goes down as well. Um, and, you know, we call it rent, but is that is the contribution to the local authority. So the, I, I don't know where this free housing is. Certainly, if someone knows about it, please let me know. Um, but <laughs> it, I, I think it's it's a figment of people's imagination. That That's just not how the system yeah. works. And if like somebody is on, like, for example, there are, there are two types of people in housing list. There are Irish people and none. And like immigrants, so um, does the housing just goes directly to the to the non-Irish and say, oh, these people they don't have a house, so they should be getting it again. You know, like there are so many there are so many stories going around. So what I would invite anyone who wants to know how houses should be allocated, each local authority has what it's called an allocation scheme, mm-hmm. right? That is a document that each local authority has to have, and basically they say this is how we prioritize people. So if you were to open the one for Cork City Council now, I don't have it in front of me because I. Uh, shut down my phone so that it doesn't interfere with the radio. If you look at it, you're going to see that the people who are prioritised for um, allocation are people who are in dangerous buildings, who are in overcrowded accommodation, who are homeless, who are um, who have a medical or a disability need. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, so there are several conditions. So each, uh, each family, you know, they, they are on the list and each local authority will 
rank them on that basis. But then I guess we don't have enough accommodation uh, within local authorities. So there will be people even... Even if there is a family with a disability, they might be waiting instead of 10 years, they might be waiting seven years, but they are waiting on the list. So no, like having an immigration card doesn't give you the golden ticket to be at the top of the list. Yeah. That is not a basis. It is a basis for disqualifying people on being on the housing list. Like if you don't meet the immigration criteria, um, you don't get on the housing list. But once you're on the list, they look at those conditions that are in the allocation scheme that is set out by each local authority. Okay, thank you for that. Now, there is one other question. It's like um, some people think uh, when people of um, working age, they come mm-hmm. to Ireland and they are healthy, they don't have any disability, they don't have any problems, they can actually work, uh, but they keep taking money from the government and never work and just, you know, use that and, and they're just on job seekers all their life. So is that a myth or is that true? Um Do you know, I guess I can only talk about the people I work with. Um, the first thing that I would say is I would invite people to take a look at how much actually you get on Job Seekers Allowance. Um, as I was saying, for an individual, it's only €232. Euro. Um, it's actually not enough. Like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know people who would choose to live on that in a week. Um, but I do know that there are people who um, struggle to find employment and they might struggle to find employment because there is no public transport and how do they get to even the places to apply for jobs and if you're an immigrant it is it is a bit long to get a driving license and it's expensive um, um, you know maybe you need to improve your English before you can get a better job um, maybe you have caring responsibilities so I think there are many factors there um, but I've you know sometimes uh, you know it's it's actually the opposite sometimes the people that I work with um, they arrive here and they're almost like in a rush to like get get yeah. to it you know and it's like Um, and sometimes I, I say that it's almost like inertia, you know, like if you've been running for your life and if you've been running for so long, yeah. it's almost like they arrive here and they're running and running to the next thing. And it's like, and I'll get a job and I'll go to university and I'll do this. So sometimes I'm a bit like, okay, look, we need to, we need to take a pause. We'll get your PPS number. We'll get you immigration <laughs> card. We need to. So, um, you know, I think I've met incredibly resilient people Um And there will be different reasons why someone doesn't have a job right now. Um, but I, I, I haven't met that mythical person who just loves living on 232 euro per week. Like, that's not enough. Yeah. If anything, most of the parents, um, you know, and I guess these are people. And I guess when, um, when we're talking about people, people will do what is best for their families. Every parent I meet, they tell me, I want to get a job. I, you know, I was a chef in Syria. I want to be a chef. I want to be able to cook. Um, but I'm like, okay, but we need to work on your English and we need to, you know, get you the safety courses that you can have, like, you know, the safe handling of food, you know. Um, so it, it is, it, it does take a few extra steps if you're not coming from the, you know, if you, if you didn't have your career here, just to make sure that you have all the skills and you meet all the requirements to, to be on the, on the, to, to pursue that career that you that you want to you know that you want to continue with so you know I think you you very well know about that but it's just yeah. um yeah if anything I've I've always met the almost um hunger for like just 
getting on with things and just uh, fulfilling their dream and just, you know, giving their children the best life that they can have. Yeah. Um, and I guess children are a feature. Always, like, I've, I've met no parent, you know, who you know, every parent I work with has told me, you know, like, I want what's best for my child. I want my kids to go to school and to do this and to do that. And, you know, like, sometimes I have to talk like, you know, they won't be getting the best grade all the time, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just that, you know, it, you you definitely see that they have the very high expectations of their children as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's just life. And, you know, I guess... They're just like many Irish people that I've met. And um, sometimes I guess you will see that there might be a background of trauma or there might be an illness or a disability. And that's when we have a conversation and see, look, you know, sometimes disability allowance is the most appropriate payment. Mm -hmm. It may not be job seekers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, there's so many myths out there. Yeah, that's that's true. And, you know, speaking as someone who who knows many of other people like me, um, because they, they, when, when they, when they chose to, when they were forced to leave, it wasn't because they wanted to, it was like the situation became that they had no choice. And the first thing that is in your mind is you just want to leave this nightmare and restart, you know, mm -hmm. and job is one of the most important parts of that to be able to have your own home, your, your own job to be master of your own life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, like I, I met many, many, many people, especially many, many women, because I, I deal with women more. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I've, I've met many women whose English is not even good, but they're working in, in super value. They're working in different companies and packaging department in the kitchens and all because there is no talking involved. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, like they have to do, like, for example, they have to do cutting. The instruction is given to them in a practical demo yeah. and they keep doing the same thing again and again and again. And there's no conversation involved. And, I found it really strange and they said oh it's okay we don't need to speak to anybody yeah. but we are happy that we are doing this just coming out of the house every day is just making us happy absolutely and but I guess looking at it from a practitioner perspective in those cases um like I think every job is important and every job matters but what I would always just worry about is um try to prevent people being trapped in cycles of deprivation. Um, so for those ladies or any gentlemen out there who are doing manual work where they don't need English, um, I guess this is where my policy hat comes in. How do we make sure that there is there is an English class that they can attend so that they can improve their language, so that they can interact with the world and so that they can um maybe get better paying jobs and progress professionally because I think that's something that we also need to, to look at you know um, so how do we ensure that people can satisfy their full potential if they're happy doing that gorgeous fantastic but if they want to progress professionally like I think we as a society in Ireland we need to make sure that we have English courses not just at 10 a.m in the morning when everyone is at work but also yeah. on Saturdays also on evenings and it we are all going to be better it, life is going to get better for all of us if the people if the parents of the other kids in our schools if they can speak English and if they can understand English and if they can support their kids and their education and if they can progress and not be frustrated by a lack of progression or lack of income you yeah. know in you know increase in their lives so I think um but again that's just in terms of like we I, I guess 
we just have to be mindful of those things as well. Like, are, do they have a life that is worth living and where they're happy? So that's, that's always, I'm always looking at, you know, yeah. also their, their personal satisfaction because they're not just tools for work yeah. and for, um, for the economy, inverted commas, to use and then discard. They're humans who have dignity and should be respected and should, um, you know, be supported in progressing in their dreams as well. Definitely, definitely, Maho. Your work is not an easy one because <laughs> um, because you get to deal with a lot of trauma. You meet people who have been in an extreme trauma. All of them have a different background. Some of them can deal with that. Some of them they cannot. But they're all they all have one aim: to restart a better life. To 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 get you know to 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 what what's the good word? To survive. That's that's the main part. You know, to come out of the 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 problem the trauma that they're in so you so you have you get to listen to everybody you get to gather a lot of trauma which is from other people and it is it is not an easy job a very strong person is needed to do that job and that might affect you as well you know so now this is this is a, this is a question has three parts first okay. of oh, all I'll, I'll take notes <laughs> yeah three parts okay <laughs> so first of all what are the best parts of your job that you like Mm-hmm. And would you recommend other people who have the same degrees or going through the same paths that you have been to to come work for organizations which are non-profit? And I'm sure non-profit organizations don't pay as much as profit organizations, but it is it, it is like it is not like a, it, it is like a job. We don't do it for the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a job, but it's more humanitarian. So mm-hmm. uh, what is the good part of your job and do you recommend it? Is it a good f- you know, future pathway, you know, career pathway. Mm-hmm. Secondly, what is, what are the, like, any, any one memory from, from your job working as a humanitarian, um, I, I, I would, I would consider you as your job as a humanitarian worker, okay. you know, somebody <laughs> who is trying to build lives. What, what is that one memory? What, one thing that, you know, like one family or one person, one mm-hmm. memory that touched you so deep to your heart? And thirdly, you are a wife, you are a mother, you are... I'm not a mother, actually. You are not? No. <laughs> I always thought you have a son. Uh, no, maybe I was talking about my bike, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, so You're sorry. You're fine, yeah. Yeah, la- last, last, you know, I, la- last week in this show, I called a Belgian, a German, mm-hmm. and he was like, do I'm you know how bad... It's fine. He's like, he's like, do you know how wrong that is? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I always thought he's a German. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, okay. So apologies for that. The third question. So, well, so, so how do you, like, you have a personal life of your own. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. How do you, how do you keep your own peace? How do you leave the work behind and get to live your own life and, you know, like, like have that mental um, happiness? How, how do you keep yourself mentally and physically happy and not letting that part of your work affect you? Okay. So I'll start uh, with the first question and the best parts and would I recommend it? Um, I would absolutely recommend it. Like I think um, I've done a bit of other types of work and I didn't find it as satisfying. Like I think Mm I, um, again, it's a privilege you know, like I, 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 I can afford to do this job. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, in terms of compensation, probably if I was in the private sector, I don't know how much more I, I would make, but, um, 
I, I really, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I think the best part for me, and, and I think there are two things. I mean, one of them is working with people. Um, I love working with people. Like I think I wouldn't be able to do the, the job if I was just sitting and looking at a computer and just looking at submissions and policy papers. And I have done that type of work before. Um, but I do love the part of working with people and having the ability to look at the policies as well. So I am able to see kind of like, oh, look, there is this provision in the Social Welfare Act that doesn't really work. And here's the example of how it, you know, who it affects. So I, I really like the the connecting of the real life experience of the people that I work with and how legislation or policy affects them. So that's something that I'm very passionate about. And I think um, I love that is one of the core um, working principles within NASC is that a lot of the even community sponsorship came out of the experiences of the people that we work with and it really guides our work. So we look at what are the issues that affect the people that we work with and take it from there. And then based on that, we make our policy asks and our advocacy. So that's kind of the, the, the best parts of it. And in a way that is tied a bit in terms of like a good memory, um, just to give you an idea of, of who I am, like I, um, I was, I, I, you know, once a scout, you're always a scout. So I don't know, are you familiar with the scout movement? Yeah. Um, so I started in scouts when I was 12. And if uh, there are any scouts out there listening, there was the last letter to Baden-Powell to his scouts. And in the letter, um, there was a letter to be read when he passed away and he, in part, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it in front of me there. And it said um, that, he, you know, he asked scouts to always do their best so that when their time comes to die, to pass, that they know that they left the world better than when they, you know, when they came here. Mm -hmm. So I, I think since very young, I asked myself, okay, it, how is what I'm going to do going to leave a better world you know and that might be a small thing or a big thing um but i guess that is what guides my life choices i guess much to uh, my, my my dad was like what why do you want to do human rights and i was like okay do you know um so i think it, it is that is what I ask myself whenever I'm, I'm I'm doing work. You know, is this going to create a better world? Um, so shout out to all the scouts there. Um, and I guess <laughs> in terms of a memory, um, I think there are so many. And I think I just love, um, I love bumping into people that I used to work with um, because I meet them in an office and we do paperwork and I sign things and I scan things and it's just always very busy. But it's lovely to meet them out there in the streets and just like come, you know, bump into them and I remember once um, during the pandemic we were um, we were uh, doing hopscotch we were drawing hopscotch in on one of the streets in Cork with with a couple of friends and then this guy came to me and I was like Maho I was like oh yeah he was like you know so I, I saw there was this girl playing hopscotch and the hopscotch that we just drawn that we just drew and she was a very cute girl she was like three or four and then this guy came to me and he was like Maho I was like oh you know like do you remember me and I was like I looked at, like I I'm really good for confidentiality because I forget people. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And then he told me his name and I remembered it. And then he said, "Oh, that's my daughter." And it's like, "She's here thanks to you." And I was like, "What?" And I was like, then he said, "You helped me with the family reunification to bring my wife here." And then my wife came here and then my daughter was born here. Oh. 
So she's here thanks to you. And I was like, I feel like that's giving me way too much credit. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it, it's kind of, you know, it's the small things that we do. And it's, you know, I help with an application and I help them fill a form and, you know, deal with correspondence and, you know, send a few letters to the Department of Justice and make sure that the visa and everything was in order. Um, so, um, you know, I was pushing paper, but it, what I did made it possible for him to be with his wife. And I think that is that is a, a level of satisfaction that not every job can give you um, on the fact that you are helping people um realize those things that we we take for granted you know being with our loved ones or being able to you know get your citizenship or you know all of these things and or get your papers that people would say you know if they're in the middle of an application um so you know look if i was ever in a place where i didn't speak the language and i wasn't familiar with the with the laws and everything and all the rules and regulations i would hope that there's someone there who will take their time and just help me fill the forms and Definitely. you know yeah, so so that was a good memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a very good one. Though I know you said this this is small, you know, but but this is not a small act. You know, every I'm sure every single person that you help, you might not remember them because you help so many, you deal with so many different people every day. But for them, you are a very special person and on every special occasion in their life, they do remember you and save a prayer uh, for it, you. It is so difficult sometimes because, um, you know, like um, migrant restaurants have the best food and the best coffee. And sometimes I'm, I'm even ashamed to go somewhere because I know they won't let me pay. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I have to have arguments. It's like, let me pay my coffee. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so so I think that that's, that's that. And in terms of my personal life, so, yeah, I am a wife. Um, um, I have a... Uh, an amazing husband who's very understanding um but who also helps remind me that i need to look after myself so um that, that's incredibly important um now i i do like i guess it, there's a bit of a background to it but um i i have a disability so i have um i have arthritis so it's a in it's a condition of the immune system so basically i have to take immunosuppressants i have to take medication but part of the thing is that uh, for me to stay healthy and i have an injury as well so for me to stay healthy i basically have to exercise <laughs> right so my doctor was like yeah to exercise so um i go to the gym and i just have to do it uh, you know and it's like there is no choice i have to do it to stay strong and to be able to to do what i need to do um so i make sure to hit the gym two three times a week more if i can and it, it just has to happen you mm -hmm. know and sometimes i book my gym at 6 p.m because i finish work at 5 30 and that's one sure way to get me out of the office so <laughs> um you know i stay active mm -hmm. that way so i you know i just have to make time for it um and um, you know, if, if, if I don't like, unless there's something urgent, I do try to, you know, I don't work on weekends. Um, and it is, um, you know, I spend time with my friends. I cycle everywhere. I, you know, I should call my family more. My mom will complain. Um, you know, but it, you know, you have to, you have to make sure that you have a life outside of the office as well so that you can enjoy, um, enjoy life and, and, you know enjoy the little things and i guess you know you know i do my all and i put my everything into work and people who know me will probably attest to to my work ethic um but um you know i do you know i do have to mind myself and i'm very conscious that as a manager i have to make sure that the people in my team as well look after themselves yeah. and we live 
the rights that we preach. Definitely, definitely. And and the stronger you are, the more you can do, you know. So that's very, very important. Well, Maho, it was lovely having you on the show today. I I the time just flew by. You I know, could I talk for believe. Ireland. We all know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we all love when you talk, to be honest. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, it's a privilege having you on the show today. It was so amazing listening to you. And I hope that we were able to, to raise some awareness regarding the issues of refugees and how social payments and all and to know that they're not they're no better than than Irish people they're also going through the same the same loops the same problems the same difficulties so we are all the same we all just need a little bit of more love and a little bit of more compassion and understanding and we can make this life a better place you know we yeah. can we can we can try that so thank you so much thank you for having me oh that's lovely so um that, that, that was our show today for My Life in a Suitcase. We'll see you next week, same place, with another amazing guest and another amazing topic. Till then, enjoy this lovely song. It's called This Women's Work. It's from Kate Bush. Have a lovely week ahead. Bye.